I once read the quote, worry is the work of motherhood. (sighs) Isn't that the truth? There are so many things to worry about when you're a mom. From the mundane, like, did I remember to put lunch money in his account? To the frightening, where in the world did this rash come from? Mothers constantly have a worry wheel running through their heads. And that worry, it's normal. It's part of the job description. It's just that some of us can do it better than others. What happens though, when that worry, that anxiety, turns into something that completely takes over your ability to function normally on a daily basis? When you're so tightly wound that even the smallest thing sets you off? At what point do we seek outside resources to help us cope? As a society, we still don't treat mental health as seriously as we do other ailments. And honestly, as a mom, it's so easy to put off your needs because it often feels like one more thing to do. And when you're feeling overwhelmed, overscheduled, the thought of finding a therapist you click with and digging into the things that are causing this anxiety in the first place, it's really hard work. My guest today is a mother of three who opens up about her own mental health journey. She shares how a stressful pregnancy with her first child was where her own anxiety started to grow. It grew again with an unexpected birth outcome and then again recently with a personal health scare. Listen in to hear how Hubble talks about how she recognized she needed to seek help, how her life as a mom has shifted, and how she's used her experience to recognize and help her eldest daughter work through her own anxiety. This is Your Mom Has a Podcast. I'm Amanda Strong. So go ahead and tell me who you are. (laughs) (laughs) My name is Hubble Verdue. I live in Chicago. I'm a wife and mother of three. I have a seven-year-old girl, a four-year-old girl, and an eight-month-old son. Um, Currently stay-at-home mom, but formerly and hopefully again soon, um, a sign language interpreter for the deaf and hard of hearing. And I founded a company called Itty Bitty Chit Chat, and I teach baby sign language classes to moms, dads, and play groups and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's <clears throat> just in a nutshell, what I do every day. <laughs> Those three kids <laughs> and a husband. So, um, yeah, I, I guess I was compelled to reach out to you because as of very recently, um, October, I decided to, um, more, overtly address what has been an ongoing issue, mainly, um, postpartum anxiety. I, there's still such a stigma and taboo to mental health and it's not something that is foreign to me and to my family. Um, and I just, I feel compelled to put those taboos to rest because it's, it's something that I think hits anyone and everyone from the youngest children to the oldest adults. And just because you're walking through the, the world in a happy state currently, you know, things can just 
take you by surprise. Yeah. And it, it doesn't mean that you're weak minded. It just means that you feel a lot. Um, and I can definitely see inklings of that in my oldest already. Yeah. Um, we talked about that briefly. She's <clears throat> a highly sensitive empath and that has made for a whole new education, but I, um, it became imperative to address my anxiety because it was becoming debilitating. Mm -hmm. So I reached out to my midwife and she was able to call in a prescription. And now I'm, I'm taking something every night and I have found it to be life-changing. Um, my ability to parent, um, and to co-parent has, uh, become more, um, more true to who I always thought I could be as a mother. Mm -hmm. And it's allowed me to reflect on just how much anxiety I've been juggling for how long I've been juggling it. So I was a functioning, anxious, and at times depressed wife and mother. And <clears throat> that is so not who I am. But I think you get into the trenches and you're just like, well, this is, this is motherhood. And yeah. this is what it is to be a wife and mother. And, um, now I'm realizing, no, it doesn't have to be like that. What is it <laughs> you need about, to find the humor in things again. And I have, thank God. What so. is it about recently that tipped you off that like, mm, I'm probably not coping as well as I could be, or what, what was it? Was there something that happened that helped <laughs> you to realize like, oh shit, like this is, I can't continue to just like be a functioning anxious person. Yeah. Uh, so in October, I woke up one morning and was convinced that I was just experiencing um, an extremely painful uh, menstrual cycle. And I was, I was in bed. And I, I mean, I have experienced some pretty substantial pain in my life. And I thought, I'm just being a real big wuss. So I reached out to my midwife. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. She's like, you know, this could be just your first you know, your things have changed since Ozzy and my son. And she said, it just could be your new normal. And I thought, Oh God, that's terrible. And yeah. by two 30, I was suspecting that I had appendicitis. And so my husband took me to, um, an urgent care just to kind of assess things. And they sent me to the hospital and did a CT scan. And I had what is called a small bowel obstruction uh -huh. and my small intestines got caught in my cesarean scar tissue. And it can be life threatening oh if God. you're not, you know, if you don't realize this is what it is. Yeah. And so I was admitted and I was in the hospital for four days and I'm pumping the whole time. And my children can't come because it's flu season. Not that I wanted them there because I actually had what's called an NG tube, which was a tube that goes in through your nasal passage and your stomach. And it removes all of your, anything that could potentially be in your stomach to yeah. allow your bowels to rest. And yeah. by doing that, I was able to avoid surgery because things basically untwisted and it fixed itself. Uh -huh. But when I was, um, when I was discharged, the surgeon who was assigned to my case, he said, well, um, you know, this could happen again. And I said, okay, well, what do I eat? What do I, how do I exercise? What do I do medication wise to avoid this? And he's like, yeah, there's nothing. This could happen at any moment, at any time. Um, and 
you know, or this could never happen again. Okay, thanks. <laughs> I was just like, oh, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Give my life and be a mom if at any given moment I could like keel over with this health issue. And I stopped um, sleeping. Like I just wasn't sleeping very well. I was an insomniac and I love naps and I love like rest. And, um, I realized that I was just, my heart was racing. I was cold sweats. I was just, I was on a whole new plane of, of fear and anxiety and I could not come down from it. And so I called her and she said, yeah, you just had an extremely traumatic experience. And, um, it was almost like PTSD to when my daughter was born and, you know, our cesarean situation. And that I think was that pregnancy was where my anxiety started. I, I think I had, um, anxiety during that pregnancy and it just never kind of went away. Was there anything specific that you were anxious about or it was just like the whole thing? Um, I was living in LA away from my family. I didn't have any close friends who were pregnant. So I was just all by myself. And when you're all by yourself, WebMD is like this most, the most amazing resource to ask <laughs> questions to. And every time I did, it was, you know, oh, th this is happening or that's happening. And I, um, I have this lovely, um, characteristic where I develop cervical polyps when I get pregnant, which are just non issues, Yeah, but it creates bleeding you know, bleeding Ugh. is something you have with these things. And so the first pregnancy that I was experiencing well into that first trimester, I was starting to have bleeding episodes at work. And the woman that I was seeing as my OB was not very kind. You know, she was just like, well, and she gave me the statistics data proves that, you know, so many pregnancies end in miscarriages you look really nervous. When I came in, I was white as a ghost. I was bleeding and I was convinced I'm losing this baby. And she had absolutely no compassion. And so Ugh. that just kind of yeah. built on itself. And my husband was like, you need to find some friends that are pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> so I went on like meetups.com in LA, which is the weirdest thing to do because people are weird in LA. I mean, they're fun and great when you find them, but yeah. the nice ones, but there's some weirdos out there. <laughs> and, uh, I'm still friends with a lot of these amazing moms and women. And we are all kind of like, what the fuck are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it was, it was not, um, it wasn't a hard pregnancy, but there were a lot of things about it that just weren't typical. Mm -hmm. And I ended up going into labor 32 hours of labor on a Sunday night. And the surgeon, I changed doctors because that crazy lady was not helpful. And the new guy I had was a surgeon. He wasn't interested in, you know, supporting a laboring mom, a new first timer. And yeah. so at 1130 on a Sunday night, he called the cesarean. And I was not in distress. The baby wasn't in distress. It was just time line. Mm -hmm. And when you're that tired and somebody tells you your body's not working, you kind of, you listen because they're a medical professional. And yeah, so it was, it was not good. It was not a good experience. It was not a good way of healing from a very fear induced pregnancy. And right. I, I had a lot of trouble connecting with her. I, in fact, 
I think didn't believe that she was mine until I saw photographs of her actually being pulled out of me um, that the doula had taken. And I burst into tears because I finally was like, okay, sh- oh, she is mine. I mean, she, she is mine, but I didn't, I wasn't emotionally capable of connecting, which is mm-hmm. so alarming for mm-hmm. you, a mother. And you know, like, oh, you'll fall in love with your baby instantly. And I, I did it. Mm-hmm. I didn't. And it was so, it was, it was very alarming. So I had that anxiety throughout that experience was processing, you know, a birth that wasn't ideal with a medical professional who wasn't again, compassionate. We moved back to Chicago, which helped because I had my family closer Mm -hmm. (laughs) and a network of friends who I'd been friends with for a long period of time, who were all mothers at that point and, or most of them who were mothers. And then I had my second and my second was a completely different experience it ended up being a very, you know, a healing VBAC and I did placenta encapsulation and I was seeing a chiropractor, like doing all the things. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have the anxiety with her that I had with Clementine. But then, you know, as my kids are getting older, I'm seeing behaviors in my oldest that are because of my anxiety. I think I'm stimulating anxiety in her. And, and then Ozzy was born and it was like, there were the polyp was there and the placenta was in the wrong position. And there were a lot of things that were triggering again, PTSD wise of that. And so I think that even though I did the placenta encapsulation, my anxiety level was just ratcheted up already. Um, and it's a boy who I was, I was like, okay, um, this is different. (laughs) Not only is this like not a girl, but anatomically I'm like, um, is this normal? You know, you just don't, you don't know. Yeah. It's different. So I am feeling like myself again and I'm feeling like the mom that I had always intended to be patient. I'm more patient. I still yell at my kids, but not all the time. Like I was yelling all the time and therapy wasn't working and CBD oil wasn't working and, you know, self-care bullshit that just, I was like, a shower shouldn't be self-care. Right. <laughs> a shower should be just a mode of hyg- you know, hygienics. That's yeah. it. Like, yeah. So I remember. Um, so I, it, we have a lot of parallels. It sounds like um, with first pregnancies and non-compassionate doctors and that kind of stuff. And I remember when my anxiety, I kind of wrote my anxiety off as like, Oh, I'm just being like a really good mom. Like mine turned into like hypervigilance and like, I had to keep everybody alive at all times and everything was a threat. Mm -hmm. And finally, like once I started having regular panic attacks, um, I was like, I, you know what? Um, I think that actually things are like really, really bad. (laughs) Like this is, it's never really been this bad before. Cause I would like had fought through it for like two years and it got to the point where I like same thing. Like I couldn't function. And I remember sitting in with that doctor the first time and she was like, it's really exhausting, isn't it? Just feeling like you have to keep everybody alive and watch out for danger at all moments of the day. And that was the first time somebody had put into words exactly how I was feeling. Validation. I just thought I was like a really, I was just really doing a terrible job. And no patience. Every I yelled at everything. Mm-hmm. I remember one day like throwing a backpack across the room, just because, from some minor infraction. And so like I to know. have that, and then to get on medication and be like, "Holy shit!" Yeah. 
Yeah, it's remarkable. And I feel like, you know, with our the parenting now is not what parenting was. Mm-hmm. You know, we have social media and all of these things in our lives that are allowing us to connect with people that we're not going to ever see at the grocery store or at our kids, you know, school pickup. These are people that live elsewhere in our in our world, our acquaintances, and they're dealing with some major shit. And suddenly their shit becomes my, my, you know, my front line as well. Yes. Because I'm like, okay, is this cancer? Yes. Me or my child, you know, uh, your marriage is crumbling. Oh my God. You know, we've been arguing a lot lately. Maybe yeah. we're on the brink of, of divorce as well. And then we're going to be a broken family. And oh my God, you know, Christmas is going to be a nightmare. You know, that's where I go. I go all the way down that line. And these people that are, you know, I'm scrolling through Facebook, drinking coffee in the morning, not paying attention to my kids, which I should be doing. Yeah. So I'm avoiding my life and I'm investing in others who are not with me on this journey. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. And so um, I don't think that my mom and her sisters and, and the other women in my life uh, had ever had to deal with this because they, you know, their concerns were just, just right in their little nest. Yeah. Uh, and I, I envy that to a degree because it has, it's a concerted effort not to make the world in your presence at all times. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I love this medication. <laughs> I just, I'm like, it, it, I might be on this for the rest of my life and that is okay. Yes. And it will make me a better mom and it'll, it could potentially help my kids if they go down that path too. Yeah. There's no stigma. Yeah. Um, they haven't asked about it, but mm-hmm. I definitely see there's a, a change in all of us. You know, my husband's like, you are a different person. <laughs> in the nice. <laughs> in the nicest way possible. Yeah. I, I'm on this, um, so I also have a child with anxiety and I'm in this really great Facebook group for parents whose kids have anxiety. And a mom had recently posted that she was getting a lot of pushback from grandparents, from the child's grandparents, um, because the, the parents were considering medicating this child Hmm. because she just is unable to cope with life at this point. And it's, it's terrible across the board, like school refusal, everything. And she was like, I don't understand. Like, I don't know how to talk to them. And one of the things that I had heard once, um, from a therapy podcast I was listening to is that like medication, it's like thinking of like, you have like strep throat, right? And so like medication is the throat lozenge and therapy is the antibiotic. And so Mm -hmm. it's like, if medication helps you to better deal with whatever it is that's going on, whether it just be like getting through the day or being able to process past trauma or whatever. It's like, why wouldn't you, like if your kid had a headache or if you had a headache, it's not like you would just say like, Oh, I'm not going to take ibuprofen. Cause I don't like, no, <laughs> you don't have to, you don't have to suffer. Right. And you know, and when it gets to the point where you can't, effectively manage yourself and, you know, and be responsible for other people as well. It's like, why wouldn't you, Mm -hmm. why wouldn't you medicate? I don't understand why people are so against it. Has anybody, or have you experienced anybody saying like why they felt like, you know, people with anxiety or depression shouldn't medicate? I mean, like I said, my family has dealt with 
we're a sea of artists. And so we're very (laughs) emotionally charged individuals. So, oh goodness. Um, So I don't feel like it's ever been a stigma in my family. Thank God. That said, um, I know that there are, there are friends of mine who are, are currently struggling and I wasn't even on anything at that moment. And I was like, go get something. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that they have. And one particular friend reached out a few days ago just to say hi. And she's like, how you doing? I'm like, I am doing great. And I told her (laughs) all about, you know, this new regimen that I'm on and just hoping to God that she hears it and takes it on as something that she can address because she's in the trenches more than I think I could handle. And Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, it's a tool. It's just a tool in your tool belt. Yeah. And that to me is, is a gift. And I, I, the therapist that we're seeing has even talked to, um, to me specifically about people have, or doctors that, you know, the medical world has these medications out there and their intention isn't that you're on it for long periods of time, that you're supposed to be on it in a short period of time to process and, and get through this chapter. Yeah. And when she said that, I immediately kind of red flagged that because I thought, well, but trauma is trauma. And those scars are both physical as well as emotional for me. And I don't know if I can process them fully. Yeah. This is living in me. Um, And I honor that, you know, it's not something that I'm ashamed of. Mm -hmm. And she then immediately said, but as we know, <laughs> there are people out there who need it for longer and forever sometimes. And that's okay. And I thought, we found a great person to talk to. <laughs> clearly, you know, it's, you need to align your people with the night, the right support group. Yeah. And so a long winded answer is that I, I'm feeling like there's less stigma out there now for medication because there's so many people on it. It's just the stigma I think is still being able to talk about it, mm-hmm. you know, I think really just saying, yes, I struggle with this and I take medication in order to navigate it on a daily basis. And I am not ashamed. It doesn't yeah. make me weak. It doesn't make me less of a person or, a you know, um, a handicapped mother, emotionally handicapped mother. In fact, it, it gives me so much more insight. Um, that I'm more confident about addressing my own kids' anxiety. Yeah. Which is legit. <laughs> How did like, you, when you started to recognize those signs, what did that feel like? I, yeah. Did you, I mean, I, I asked this because I, looking back at Quinn, as like a two-year-old, a three-year-old, I just thought, oh, this kid's got a hard time with transitions. And like, she's just really like emotional. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until she got to be, you know, seven, eight, that I was like, oh, no, no. Like, this is anxiety. And I like, this is my fault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when you started to recognize those signs, it's, it's in Clementine, right? Yeah. Okay. So when you started to recognize those signs, what was the first thing either that you thought or that steps that you took to help her? Um, and did this happen before or after you were officially diagnosed and started taking medication? Oh, this is before. 
This okay. is before, like I said, I was a functioning highly anxious. <laughs> you know, it's like that functioning alcoholic. So I was seeing in her a lot of the the behaviors that I remember feeling, even as a kid at times. Um, but there's something remarkably unique about her that I, my both my husband and I are just blown away by this kid. She is so in tune with her feelings and with others' feelings that she is, she's just going to grow up to be this amazing person. You know, she's going to be such a resource to people. She's going to save the world in a way. Lorelai's going to run it and Clem's going <laughs> to save it because that's, you know, one's a CEO and the other one's going to be like a social worker. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she just, um, I started noticing at a very young age that she would identify a kid that was struggling, be it sad or, um, nervous. And she just would sidle up next to this kid and have no qualms taking it on for them, Mm -hmm. which was so weird to watch. You know, she was always really good at sharing. She never had tantrums as a two and three-year-old and four-year-old. Like she never had any of that Mm -hmm. and was speaking in full sentences at a very early age and using really advanced vocabulary. Now she's not off the charts IQ wise, like she's reading at her reading level. She's off the charts in math, but it's like, you know, she's, she's a typical kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but she just feels everything. And it's almost like the actors in us have, have touched on her genetics. So she, they were talking about different families at school and health class. And it's actually mental health class because they talk about emotions they're not talking about body anatomy and all that stuff they're talking about mental health in the school and I love that um they were talking about different families you know two moms two dads a blended family a family that uh, that's divorced you know and walking home and I can always tell when something's up with her you know she has a very particular way of behaving and it's incessant questions with answers she already knows. And it's like, okay, what's going she on? She wants that reassurance. She wants the reassurance, but it's her way of cueing me in and saying, yeah. I need you to dig home. I need you to, <laughs> I need you to help me out here. And so I always, I'm like, girl, what's going on? What's up, bud? And she, and she'll tell me, she's like, we were talking about divorce. And one of my friends who is totally fine with her parents being separated. This kid is total, this is normal to her. And my kid's in a puddle because of it. And I said, she gets two Christmases. She gets two <laughs> birthdays. And I'm trying to show her the other side of it, yeah. but also validating those feelings. Like, honey, you are, you're feeling what she probably felt once, you know, this was new to her and what a remarkable thing for you to do, you know? And I, I honor who she is yes. um, because there's nothing wrong with her. And I try to remind her of that because, you know, when we, when we have trouble, we think I'm not, I'm broken or I'm not, I'm not okay. And Mm -hmm. little things like she just, we don't watch the news at our house. We listen to NPR, but we don't watch the news because she will be haunted by just anything that comes across the news. And there was a 
a sergeant shot in Chicago a couple of years ago and his face was plastered around our area because we live in a, a very a, a civic minded area with a lot of workers for, for the fire department and police department. And his, his image was everywhere. And she, it was, it was really hard. She kept saying, I keep seeing him. I keep seeing him. And you know, what do you say to your kid when they see somebody who they know is, has died? Mm-hmm. She said, honey, we're honoring him with these images. Like he is, he was a remarkable person and he did a remarkable thing. And you know, it was a freak thing that happened, <laughs> but it was just like, yeah. So it's, it is a challenge to be a parent of a kid who feels a lot because you, you want to protect them. Mm-hmm. And our world is so fucking scary now that school drills. And, um, I mean, that's the thing that just worries me most are these, um, active shooter drills because that just, that, that rocks me every time. Mm-hmm. And she came home from school this, this year. And she was like, we had to get into the corner of the room mom and we had to pretend we were stones. And they had to like curl up like rocks. And she said, and Miss Carol said there was an alligator coming down the hallway and we had to be so quiet. And I thought, what the fuck? <laughs> I get seven. And she's, this teacher is remarkable. I mean, she's a remarkable teacher, but at some point my kid's going to know what this is. Mm-hmm. And she is going to be really undone by it. And, mm-hmm. you know, she, she noticed those stickers on the doors at school. Yeah. She was three years old. Like she was like, what is that? And what does that mean? And I, I don't candy coat things for her. Yeah. I probably should to a degree, but she's not going to respect that. You know, she needs, she needs information. So my mom's like, you're giving her way too much information. I'm like, no, I'm not. She asked these questions, mom. And if I don't give her legit answers, she knows I'm BSing her and she will ask me more. So I give her as clear a description as I can Mm -hmm. with, you know, um, the most accurate and digestible information possible. And she will process that shit for days, weeks. And still come at me with questions, which feeds my anxiety. <laughs> what, what are we going to ask today? <laughs> well, that's the, the, I mean, you've touched on a lot of good things. I think um, for anybody listening that doesn't experience anxiety, has never experienced anxiety or does not live with or, you know, love someone with anxiety, the best thing that you can do if someone comes to you with these worries, like you've done with your daughter is to validate it. Yes. If you tell somebody, Oh, don't worry about like, you know, my daughter, um, when we were getting ready to go on vacation, we were going to Florida and she was concerned about flooding Mm -hmm. and we're very concerned with like, well, what do we do if there's a flood and how do we know that where we're going to be, it's not going to flood. And And I I think a very normal response in this situation is to be frustrated and annoyed because, you know, our rational brain is like, it's not going to fucking flood. But (laughs) For an anxious person, there's always that like 1% chance that the worst case scenario could come true. And I want to be prepared in that instance. And so 
as much as you can without reassuring that person, validating their fears because for them, they're very real. And then always, you know, we always talk through, okay, well, it could happen because you don't want to say it's not going to, because then if it does, then (laughs) any trust is out the door. It's gone. Yeah. But you say, you know, it, it, it could. And so here's what we could do in the event of this. And I think the same thing, you know, but it gets, it gets hard and it gets heavy when you get into those scenarios, like you were talking about at school. And I've also worried about that a lot. I don't want my kids to be afraid to go. Yeah. Um, but also reminding them that, yeah, there's some scary shit in this world, but also like you have parents that are here to protect you and you have X, Y, and Z in place to keep you safe. And is there anything that you're doing in particular? Like, does she go to therapy? Because for me, it's like those deep feelings and that ability to empathize is very special. As you have said, you recognize, are you afraid that there's going to be something or someone that comes and squashes it? Yes. So we've talked, my husband and I have talked about looking into therapy for her and we have friends whose kids have seen therapists and I've talked to them at length about it. And the overarching um, or overreaching uh, concern that all parents have, I think is to find the right person that, gives your kid the tools to function, you know, and, and bloom and blossom in this, in this state of personality. Um, and I, I'm having trouble trusting that I can find that person. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm so protective of her and I, I see how it could really help, but I also, I mean, I'm not going to be in the room necessarily. How do I know that she's being given what she needs? And Last year, her kindergarten teacher, she was having fits of anxiety, partly because I was pregnant. And I mean, the minute I told her we were having another baby and she'd been asking for years, she was so excited. I have it on video. She was so excited and was, I mean, like screaming and jumping and then went from that to a ball of tears. Who's going to be here to take care of us when you go to the hospital? Like that, she went from A to Z in seconds. Like that is my kid in a nutshell. And so that triggered all this other stuff. And her kindergarten teacher said, I had a kid just like this. And it was the best matchup academically that we could have possibly had because she gave Clementine all these amazing tools. She told Clem that in her brain, there's a worry wheel. And on that wheel are all the things that are concerning her. And she would come up to me and she's like, mom, my worry wheel, it's like, it's spinning. And that's what it feels like mm-hmm. when you are, are reeling in anxiety. And so I, we would address what was on her wheel and we would see if we could, you know, calm it. And it worked. I mean, she was, this teacher is just phenomenal. And I don't know if there's anyone in our area that I would send her to right now. Mm-hmm. I'm looking into it. Speaking of the devil. Hey there, girl. Hi. Hi, this is my friend Amanda, and I'm talking to her about being a mom. Hi there. Hi there. This is Clem. And this is Lorelai. Can you see her? No. Oh, now, oh, look at your hat. This is um a veil. Yeah, quickly, because I'm talking to her. When we um were trying to talk to you, it's not working. No, you weren't talking. To I us. tried talking to you. It's not working. 
It's in the kitchen. We'll fix it. Can you give me a few more minutes? Because I'm almost done. And mine's not working. Okay, either. we'll figure it out. Yeah. Can I come up in a few minutes and help you? Uh-huh. All right. You're being very patient. I know. It's hard. Sisters are hard sometimes. No, I need to talk to my buddy and I need to be able to focus. And but I'll be back out in just a few minutes. You look really nice. There you go. Can you shut the door on your way out? Thank you. Mm -hmm. They're so cute. (laughs) Do they get along well together? They do. That's good. They do. Um, <clears throat> they've, they've figured out the playing thing. Yeah. And I'm wondering, I mean, they bicker like crazy, but uh, Clem is very patient. And she's also the oldest, so she likes to tell Lorelai what to do. And Lorelai is not having it. So, um, yeah. So as far as therapy goes, we've, we've really considered it seriously, but we've not um, started it yet. Yeah. Um, she's, she's outgrowing some of it. Yeah. But not new stuff is happening still. Yeah. Sorry about all the sound effects. No, you're <laughs> you're good. It's real life, right? It is real life. Yeah, I think that's um that is at least for me, you know, the light is that with age and with experience comes certain things that we were worried about or concerned about falling away and new things pop up, um, and they shift and change. Um, we found a therapist within our school, which I had no idea was even an option Mm -hmm. because the first one that we saw, she just, what I was like, I could Google this like this because I would sit in on the sessions. Oh, okay. Um, So Quinn would get like 30 minutes to herself and then I would come in the second 30 and the thing she was telling me, I was like, uh, I like, I can Google this or listen to a podcast to read a book. Like this isn't really that helpful. Um, so finding somebody that your kid respects mm-hmm. and jives with like Quinn adores the therapist at school and looks forward to that time. And it's kind of like a, a respite, um, a place where she can kind of go and it happens on Mondays. So we can talk about anything that happened on the weekend. Yeah. And it's been really helpful. Um, just from, having another adult that's not just me because I feel like you can only do so much sometimes as a mom before they think like oh well I she's just my mom like she's just trying to help me and she doesn't know what she's talking about I think sometimes when it comes from another authority figure you know they're they're a little bit more receptive to it sometimes like yeah. it's like that teacher was an amazing resource. And I feel like that's true when you're 40. And you're yeah. Because you can go to your friends and be like, you're just going to tell me where, what I want to hear. You know? So we go see a therapist that goes, no, this is bullshit. Like, you need to. Ah. So, um, yeah, I think you're right. That's, it is so good to have uh, another adult that you can trust. And, uh, you know, as a kid. Yeah. Because it takes a freaking village, doesn't it? I mean, it's just. I have really great friends down here that are, they're great moms. And I, I would parent their kids the way they parent their kids. And so, you know, if my kid needs something, they go up to Miss Maureen and they, they get what they need. And I love that. I mean, yeah. I that's important. Do you struggle at all um, when you have a child that has exceptions? Do you ever struggle with feeling like you're giving her so much at some times that the other two are getting leftovers and do you have any ways that you've tried to deal with that to kind of even it out or at least kind of 
I don't know, make it a little bit less lopsided? I do. We try to um, have special time with the girls independently. You know, so I'll take Lorelai out on an errand or whatever with me. And then, you know, Clementine will have her time. And, you know, we do try to honor those those time, that special time. Now, there's still an age difference. So Clemson's will all day. And then Lorelai is done half after half a day. So we've got this entire afternoon. Lorelai and I will we'll do lunch out. And I find very particular activities for her that Clementine doesn't do. So I try to honor each one individually with their passions. And because they're both girls, they overlap a lot, but Lorelai's doing an acting thing on Fridays now that Clementine never got to do. So it's giving her, um, identity, you know, allowing her to have completely separate identity from her sister. And, you know, we, we talk about, you know, Clementine's having a tough day today. You know, and then we also say Lorelai's having a tough day today because she has tough days too. Yeah. They're not as many. <laughs> <laughs> but when they happen, it's like we gotta we gotta do it. And then with this eight month old who is taking all of your time and attention, yeah. Um he's almost getting more right now than either of the girls. So it's it's interesting finding how they are finding their own resources to solve problems and um, yeah I, I mean I always feel like I don't have enough time or the ability to juggle mm-hmm. someone's always going to get you know the short end of the stick I'm the oldest Jeff's the oldest Clem's the oldest so <laughs> Lorelai and Oz are just going to get. <laughs> I'm going to be like, you remind me of somebody I grew up with. (laughs) And I'm already babying my baby boy like crazy. And I'm just like, I said I wasn't going to do this. But you do because you love your children. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. So, yeah. It's hard. (laughs) It's all it's hard to to strike that balance. What what would you say for you is the your most favorite part, the best part of being a mom? You know, I was an actor for years and a nanny for years. And now I've got my own little um, people. The the theater background is something that, you know, I don't use anymore and I'm really okay with that. But my kids get so much of my creativity as a result. I love reading to them and I use the voices and the dialects and, you know, my second my my middle one has started to pretend to speak in a British dialect, which just God, it's so funny when you hear a four year old tr- pretend to be British, yeah. um, and not do it well, you know. <laughs> um, so there's it's just the, the playfulness of it, and you know I am a mom who will get down on the ground and play with my kids, but it's really for my it's terrible to say, but it's really for my own entertainment because yeah. some of the shit that they say is so great, it's gold, it's comic genius, and you know, I'll do it for a few minutes and then I'm like, all right, I got to go make a pot of coffee, you know, or <laughs> I got to go do some laundry or whatever it is. Um, yeah. But it's it's that ability to just act out in that fun manner with your kids and hear them laugh. I mean, that's just so great. And also embarrassing my children. Yes. It's such a satisfying thing, not to the point of detriment, obviously, but where they roll their eyes or they go, oh, my. (laughs) I know. 
I want them to see me as human. Like, yeah. I need them to know that I am a flawed, remarkable person. Right. They are so lucky to have me. Because <laughs> everybody is embarrassed, you know? We have those moments where we do things and we're like, ooh, God, that was bad. Yeah. I like to honor that, you know, and let them see that because it doesn't matter, you know? Right. I want them to, you know, just fly that freak flag and be okay with it and then take it down when they're ready to take it down. But, yeah. you know, but I, yeah, I'm so excited for the teenage years because I am going to be ruthless <laughs> in a good and loving way. <laughs> I didn't know you could like derive so much pleasure. Like we went through the Starbucks line the other day and I had all the kids in the car and, um, oh, what came on? something, um, maybe gangsta's paradise came on the stereo and I had rolled down the window to pay and it was loud enough. And Quinn was like, mom, turn it down, turn it down. And I was like, what? Turn it up. Okay. (laughs) And then the girl opens the window and she looks at me and I was like, I'm embarrassing my kids. And she's like, all right. I was like, here's my credit card. We're going to leave the window open. And she was like (laughs) kicking the seat, like, please stop. You're embarrassing me. And most of our windows are tinted. Nobody can see in. <laughs> Nobody can tell. No. What has surprised you the most about motherhood? Um, the worrying, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, it's just, I, I thought it was something you could compartmentalize. And then I realized even, you know, now that I have my anxiety in check, it's far easier to navigate the worrying with that, but it's still there. Um, and the mom guilt thing is so real and it's so, it's such a wasted energy because we're only trying to do the best that we can and we're all doing really well. I mean, I feel like the mantra in our house is what is mommy's job or what's daddy's job? And it's to keep you safe and healthy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when it comes down to it, if I'm doing that, I'm doing a great job and I don't need to worry about, the potential of trauma or tragedy or anything until it's at my front door. So now it feels a bit more feasible to do that. Whereas before it wasn't, but the worrying was just, it's like, man, when did this, when does this end? My mom's like, it never ends. You know, it just, you always are worried about your kids. Yeah. Um, Some just do it better than others. And I feel like I'm in that better than others, you know, group now. Yeah. (laughs) Thank God. Yeah, but they, they throw you some real mean curveballs, too. So that would probably be it. What would you say that you used to worry the most about, if you can share? Health. Health. Yeah. Um, that is, you know, I can fix. Um, I can help my kid navigate relationships mm-hmm. for the most part. You know, it's pretty easy to say that person is not a good friend for these reasons, right? Or you've got a spelling quiz coming up. Let's work on those words, you know, but then it's the, you know, the odd change in eating habits and, you know, it's, it's the things that you start seeing where you go, is this normal or is this, is that rash something I should take her in for? And yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's the health factor. And Mm -hmm. what I did to address that is I found a remarkable pediatrician who's actually a DO so she, um, she addresses the whole person and that is what I need specifically for my oldest kid, because a lot of the stuff that we deal with is on the emotional side, you know, and it can affect, you know, the psychosomatic stuff comes in and you validate it, 
mm-hmm. um, but it means that you've got two extra pediatrician appointments than maybe the average bear. I definitely think the health is, is the biggest thing. And then everything else just kind of feels like it's lumped, lumped in. So that probably stems from, from friends who've lost kids. Yeah. And it's a nightmare. I never want to know, but yeah, we're healthy right now and we will be. There's no reason to think otherwise. So, yeah. One of your kids grows up and they write a memoir and they rope the other two in to tell the story. What is the general, like the summation of the story? What do they remember their childhood as being like? I think the first seven years of Clem's life with my anxiety was probably not ideal. I mean, it wasn't Mm -hmm. bad, but it was, it was, you know, a stressed mom. And I think that from here on out, it's going to be a lot of humor because that's how we navigate everything in this house. Not in a way that is, you know, undermines the importance of things, but rather just addresses the lighter side. You know, um, Mm -hmm. we are, we try to be silly whenever possible. And I also think that, you know, we're not the kind of family that like goes to stuff constantly. We don't go to we don't go to the museums. We don't go to parades. We don't, you know, we don't do any of those major things. If we do, it's like there's a buildup. But I feel like I want them to remember Friday nights in front of the fire, where we're playing a family game, you know, or we're all huddled around watching a movie, or dad's pulled out that book that everybody loves to hate and he's reading it and they're <laughs> just dad no you know it's that kind of stuff because those are the those are the fun memories those are the fun moments you know christmas morning and all that stuff like i just i want our kids to to think back and, and remember us being there because i i don't remember specifics of my mom necessarily being there all the time. Mm-hmm. And I remember snippets of my dad. So clearly like they were around, but I want my kids to remember us going sledding together. Cause I love, there are things that I do that are very childish that I, I will not miss out on. And those are those things. And I want them to remember that, you know, I want them to say, yeah, my mom was like total goofball. That's, that's it. You know, the, the acting out and the, the dialects and all that fun stuff. Atypical. But what everybody wants is a parent. They want a loving home. They want humor. They want, you know, tough love, but not so tough that <laughs> you're in therapy. <laughs> you know, we say, oh, there's another coin for the therapy jar. You're when we screw up. I mean, we all end up there anyway, regardless, I think. <laughs> we do because of our mothers. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Maybe in part, but whatever. Yeah. It's all your mom's fault. Blame your mom. Right. I just, I think that being, um, being a parent and I, I, I'm pretty sure we mentioned this, that being a parent nowadays is just, it's a different feat Mm -hmm. and navigating, um, parenting our kids. Is that something that, you know, the social media and stuff like that, I am still grappling with when's my kid can ask for a cell phone and when should she have a cell phone and how do I protect her from that? And yeah. I say, guys, I didn't get a cell phone until college. And I think that that will work for you too. <laughs> and, 
with that, I'm going to take that advice and use I say you get the flip phone with the T9 texting. This is just very on brand for my childhood. You can do the same. It's scary. It's scary. Adults, I think adults have a hard time uh, navigating it. And I can't imagine uh, like having to go through my adolescence Mm -hmm. with my shit on blast on Instagram or Facebook. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, you can be documented without your awareness and it can be and it's like, you know, I mean, can you imagine, like, I think back, like I was a pretty like nerdy kid in high school, but in college was pretty tame, but I was like, Oh my God, thank God. Like our only way for documenting it was like a digital camera. And you only had that if you're like, (laughs) if you got it for a graduation present or something like nobody, nobody had anything. Thank God. Right. Yeah. There is video of me somewhere smoking a joint in a college room with some friends (laughs) and I, you know, I'm taking it, you know, I'm, I'm hitting this thing and I look at my friend who's videotaping. I'm like, God, I hope I never read <laughs> And I was a theater major. So clearly it's like, you know, that was not on the agenda. Like, yeah, this is, this is documentation at its best. No idea where that video is. Pretty sure it's not going to surface, but you know, we're going to talk about that shit at the dinner table. Like yeah. that's something I plan to do. And this is a really good piece of advice for anybody listening. And it's, it worked with my parents they talked about sex and drugs and any of their escapades as teenagers and young adults. So they took all of that and made it not taboo. Like mm-hmm. we, I remember my mother at dinner once saying, do you need to see a condom? Because I can go get one from your father's stock kit. And I was like, mom, this was just, she just had no qualms. And I'm going to be the same way. Like, yeah. I'm going to be the same way because it really helps take all of that, you know, all the power away from it. Mm -hmm. When you get drunk, you let us know. We'll get you drunk. If you want to get high, you let us know. Your dad will get you some pot, some (laughs) some grass, (laughs) and we'll get you high. And, and, you know, in college and post-college, I was getting my dad stoned. And, you know, he would, like, cash out the bowl and we would get (laughs) I mean, that was the family I came from. And I I don't anticipate smoking weed with my kids at any point (laughs) soon but I want them to be able to come to me and, yeah. and know that they're not going to get judged because their mom, you know, did all that stuff too. Yeah. There's going to be more that I will have no ideas out there. And that's, you know, that's why I'm on Zoloft. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if you can't make your own chemicals, store-bought is a hundred percent fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This has been great. Thank you for allowing me to participate. Yeah, I'm glad we finally were able to connect. And (laughs) I think this will be it'll be helpful because I think that a lot of a lot of parents are dealing with exceptional children that either don't recognize it and just think it's personality quirk and like, why the fuck is my kid so different? (laughs) You know, until you unless you feel it yourself and you can recognize it that way or, you know, something happens to where you're kind of forced to sit down and pay attention. And it's hard when you're busy and you have multiple kids and things are going on. Sometimes it can be hard to see what's actually going on. So hopefully this helps somebody if they're in that situation, recognize it. And if they're feeling anxious and afraid of, you know, whatever therapy or medication or just verbalizing it, saying it out loud, like that can be difficult to admit that like, this is not working and I need to go figure something out. Right. And it doesn't make you a bad person. I think that's just 
that's where we got to get away from it. Yeah. The stigma. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you. Have a beautiful rest of your Sunday. And thank you. You too. Bye. Thank you so much for listening today. Thank you, Hubble, for sharing your story. If you've enjoyed today's episode or any of the episodes this far, if you take a minute, go into Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating and a review. It helps to get this podcast known. It helps other people to understand what it's about and that it's worth a listen. Also, if you really like it and you want to share it on your social media or tell your friends, I would appreciate you more than you could even know. I really am just looking to create a community of like-minded moms here who feel a little less alone in this crazy life that's called motherhood. You can find us on Instagram at your mom has a podcast. And guys, if you are struggling with your own mental health issues, anxiety, depression, whatever it is, please know that you are not alone. Reach out to a friend, a family member, somebody that you can trust. Talk to your doctor. There are so many resources. If you are here in Cincinnati, you can call Central Clinic and be connected to a resident therapist immediately. And you don't need insurance. It is so affordable to go and just get started talking to somebody, get medication, whatever it is that you need. It's not that you're weird or broken or anything's wrong with you. You just need a little help. Don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss out on any of our upcoming episodes. And we'll be back next week with a new conversation with another mom.